Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie. Katie, how nice to see you. Hello, Ellen. I hope you're well. Why are you acting like you're the mayor? Don't let the podcast go to your head, girl. Okay, how about Katie? Simply splendid to see you, old girl. Marvelous. Absolutely spiffing. (laughs) Okay, that's enough now. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 3, The Night Bus, and the corresponding film scenes. Stan Shunpike is one Accutane prescription away from getting it. Harry is one night bus ride away from getting a concussion. The shrunken head is one dad joke away from getting a collective groan from the audience. Quasi-Bat Gollum is one more deformity away from getting another nickname. We discovered that Aunt Marge is getting some frequent flyer miles. And Cornelius Fudge isn't getting anywhere with Sirius Black. During episode 40, Quasi-Bat Gollum, our Potter pondering was, what is your take on the shrunken head on the night bus? Carly says, meh. She thinks it was a weird addition, but maybe since the movie is so dark, they felt like they needed extra comic relief. Shrunken heads are generally associated with voodoo and not general magic, which is interesting considering they never bring up voodoo in the series. But that just creates a bunch more questions for her. You're going to have to share those questions with us sometime, Carly. Mm-hmm. Quincy also didn't particularly care for it. He feels like they focused on adding things, and they could have focused on the actual plot. Mm-hmm. It didn't take anything away from the story, but it definitely didn't add to the story. Max thinks that 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 3 and a half, 2, One and three quarters was the best scene ever. There's a reason why I gave you that line. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I commented on the fact that he's counting down and goes from three up to three and a half. And Max says (laughs) that he thinks he's just overexcited. And also, when your whole existence is just being ahead on a bus, he's surprised he's so cheerful. That checks out, I guess. Laura says she likes Lenny Henry, but is not so sure about the head. Katie found it strange. Different Katie. We got a lot of Katies and I kind of love it. This is K-A-T-Y Katie. But she found it strange. She wondered what it had to do with anything, really. Seems to be the overall general consensus. Eric called it stupid. He felt like it had nothing to do with the wizarding world and just took away from the content. Even reiterated that it was absolutely stupid. Jackson also hated it. He loved the dialogue between Stan and Ernie and missed that. And I can't say I disagree. Yeah, it really just didn't make any sense. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us, everyone. Definitely. Our trivia question last week was, George jokes that the Ministry Loan cars will have little flags with HB on them for Percy. What does Fred say HB stands for? Fred says it stands for humongous big head. (laughs) And then everybody but Mrs. Weasley and Percy snorted into their pudding. Pudding snorts. Pudding snorts. (laughs) Hashtag pudding snorts. (laughs) I love this description since it shows us Mr. Weasley also laughs at the twin shenanigans. I mean, the moment I knew I loved Mr. Weasley was when they flew the car to get Harry and his first question was, how did it go? (laughs) Mr. Weasley's amazing. (laughs) He is. Amazeballs. Congratulations goes to Dave Garza. This is his third week in a row, so he is slowly creeping up on Quincy's record. This one was ridiculously close, too. Dave managed to answer correctly with the code word only one minute faster than Max. Yeah, Dave foiled Max's comeback this week. But with Max on his heels like that, Dave is really going to have to fight to keep his streak up. Carly wasn't too far behind either, but since she starts her brand new teaching career this week, she's not going to have the time to stay up and answer going forward. She blames Mario for losing track of time. But our support badger is going to be such an incredible teacher. Yeah, good luck, Carly. We're so happy for you. Woohoo! 
We also want to give a shout out to Claire Turner, who was the first person to answer our bonus trivia question with Max's Potterheads A History episode all about the Deathly Hallows. Great job, Claire! Yeah, thanks to everyone who plays along and makes the trivia really fun. And with that, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron Harry has never been able to get up when he wanted, or eat whatever he wanted, so it takes several days to get used to his new freedom while staying at the Leaky Cauldron. He has no trouble staying in Diagon Alley like he promised Fudge, because it's packed with the most fascinating wizard shops in the world. Each morning, he eats breakfast in the Leaky Cauldron and watches the other guests. Then he takes out his wand, taps the third brick from the left, and watches the archway into Diagon Alley open. He spends his days exploring the shops and eating outside at the cafes. He doesn't have to do his homework in secret anymore and sits outside of Florian Fortescue's ice cream parlor where Florian Fortescue himself gives him help on his medieval witch-burning essay, as well as free Sundays every half hour. After refilling his money bag, he really has to exercise self-control to not spend it all immediately. He is tempted by a set of solid gold gobstones, a perfect model of the galaxy in a large glass ball, and most of all, by a brand new racing broom, the Firebolt. The price is on request, and Harry doesn't even want to think about how much it would cost. He has never lost a match with his Nimbus 2000, so there is no point in emptying his vault for it. But he still goes to look at the Firebolt every day. Instead, he buys the things he does need. Potion ingredients from the apothecary, school robes from Madame Malkins, and his new school books from Flourish and Blots. When he arrives at the bookshop, he is surprised to see a cage full of the Monster Book of Monsters in the window. Looking at his list, he sees that it's listed as the required book for care of magical creatures. Having been worried that Hagrid wanted his help with a scary new pet, Harry is relieved to find out that this is why Hagrid said the book would be useful. He enters the shop, and the manager comes forward to ask if he's at Hogwarts and needs his books. Harry barely has time to say yes when the manager brushes him aside, putting on thick gloves, grabbing a stick, and moving to the Monster Book of Monsters cage. To the manager's relief, Harry tells him that he already has one of those. The manager asks if there's anything else he can help Harry with, and Harry tells him that he needs Unfogging the Future by Cassandra Voblatsky for divination. The manager takes off the gloves and leads him to the back of the shop, and while he's looking for the book, Harry explores a small table stacked with other books. One book, Death Omens, What to Do When You Know the Worst is Coming, has a large, familiar-looking black dog on the cover. The manager warns him against reading it, saying he'll start seeing death omens everywhere and asks if he needs anything else. Harry says he needs Intermediate Transfiguration and the Standard Book of Spells Grade 3. He buys his books and heads back to the Leaky Cauldron, distracted by his thoughts about the giant black dog, trying to convince himself that it was just a stray dog and not a death omen. The last days of his summer holiday go by and he starts looking for signs of Ron and Hermione, seeing many other faces from Hogwarts. On the last day, he expects he will at least be seeing them the next day on the Hogwarts Express. He gets up, gets dressed, and heads out to take one more look at the Firebolt. While trying to decide where to have lunch, he hears someone yell his name. He turns and sees Ron and Hermione sitting outside the ice cream parlor. They knew he was staying at the Leaky Cauldron because of Ron's dad, who knew the whole story about what happened to Aunt Marge. Hermione wants to know if Harry really blew up his aunt, and while Ron laughs, he explains that he didn't mean to, he just lost control. Hermione admonishes Ron for laughing, saying it was lucky that Harry wasn't expelled. Harry says that he thought he was going to be arrested, and wonders if Mr. Weasley knows why he didn't get in trouble. Ron figures it's because he's the famous Harry Potter. He changes the subject, letting Harry know that they are all staying at the Leaky Cauldron too, and he can ride with them to King's Cross. They talk about getting all their stuff, and Ron shows off his new wand. Hermione has way more books than they needed, and explains that it's because she's taking more subjects than them. She says that she still has 10 galleons left that her parents gave her extra money for her birthday in September. She thinks she wants an owl and Ron needs to get Scabbers checked out, so they head to the magical creature shop, Magical Menagerie. The shop is full of purple toads, a jewel-shelled tortoise, orange snails, a white rabbit that keeps turning into a top hat, cats of every color, 
ravens, custard-colored furballs, and a cage of black rats. Bron takes Scabbers up to the counter and explains that he's been off-color since they came back from Egypt. The witch looks at the old rat and says he's been through the mill and that common rats don't usually live for more than about three years, and suggests one of the black rats for something more hard-wearing. Ron isn't interested in a replacement, so the witch recommends a rat tonic. Before Ron can get the cost of the tonic, a huge orange cat launches at Scabbers, who slips through the witch's hands and out the door as she yells, No, Crookshanks, no! Ron and Harry race out after Scabbers. It takes them nearly 10 minutes to catch him, and then they head back to the magical menagerie to find that Hermione had bought Crookshanks, who had been in the shop for ages with no one wanting him. Ron isn't surprised, but is worried about Scabbers with the cat around. Hermione gives him the rat tonic he left in the shop and tells him not to worry, since Crookshanks will be in her dorm and Scabbers will be in his. They walk back to the Leaky Cauldron where they find Mr. Weasley reading the Daily Prophet. Harry asks him about Sirius Black and learns that they still haven't caught him, even though they pulled everyone off their regular jobs to try and find him. Ron wonders if they would get a reward if they caught him, and Mr. Weasley tells Ron not to be ridiculous. The Black won't be caught by a 13-year-old wizard. The rest of the Weasleys enter the bar with all of their shopping bags. Ginny seems even more embarrassed than usual to see Harry and barely says hello, but Percy approaches him and solemnly shakes his hand, saying how nice it is to see him and asking if he's well. Harry begins to respond, but is cut off by Fred and George, imitating Percy's pompous manner to greet him as well. Mrs. Weasley tells them to stop and takes a moment to brag about Percy being made head boy. They all had dinner together that night and learned that the Ministry is providing them with a couple of cars to get to King's Cross Station in the morning. Percy wonders why they are providing them, and George tells him that it's for him, that it will have little flags that say HB on them, and Fred joins in to say, for humongous big head. Mr. Weasley says that they are doing him a favor since they don't have a car anymore, but Harry notices that he doesn't seem to be being completely honest. Mrs. Weasley changes the subject to make sure that everyone is packed. After dinner, everyone goes upstairs to check they are ready for the next day. Harry is all set, but he can hear arguing coming from Ron and Percy's room right next door. He goes to check on them and finds out that Percy's head boy badge is missing. Ron says that Scabber's tonic is missing too and he thinks he left it in the bar, but Percy won't let him go anywhere until they find his badge. Harry says he will go get it and heads down to the bar where he hears another pair of angry voices that he recognizes as Mr. and Mrs. Weasley's. He hesitates until he hears his name and then he moves closer to listen. He overhears them arguing about whether they should tell Harry that Sirius Black is completely mad but still managed to escape from Azkaban so that he could go after Harry. Mr. Weasley says that Black wants Harry dead because he thinks murdering him will bring back you-know-who. Mrs. Weasley thinks that Harry will be safe at Hogwarts with Dumbledore, but Mr. Weasley thinks Harry should be made aware to put him on guard. He then says they should go up to bed. Harry hurries to the bar to find the rat tonic and then heads back upstairs running into Fred and George, who are listening and laughing as Ron and Percy dismantle their room, since they have his head boy badge, which now says Big Head Boy. Harry forces a laugh, then gives Ron the tonic before heading to bed, thinking about what he overheard. He now understands why he wasn't in trouble, and realizes he isn't that scared, since he agrees with Mrs. Weasley and feels safe at Hogwarts with Dumbledore, especially since the Azkaban guards seem to scare most people and will also be guarding the school. He seems most concerned with the fact that going to Hogsmeade seems even more unlikely now, though the black dog he saw also looms in his mind. He cuts that thought off by saying out loud that he's not going to be murdered, and his mirror sleepily tells him, that's the spirit, dear. The movie starts out on an overhead shot of a farmer's market on the streets of London. The camera pans up over the rooftops in a train and continues to pull back, revealing this is the view from a window in the leaky cauldron. Harry is looking out the window until he hears a slight snarling sound. He looks over his shoulder and walks towards his school books that are sitting on a bench in front of the fire. Most of them are in one pile, but the largest of the books is sitting next to the pile on the bench. It is a brown, furry book with short, tentacle-like fingers around the edges and gold letters reading The Monster Book of Monsters. It has been belted shut and appears to be moving slightly. Harry removes the belt and four little yellow eyes open and blink. He picks up the book to open it and sees a set of teeth along the binding. 
Before Harry can open the book, it begins to snarl and snap at him. Startled, he drops the book and backs away from it as it pursues him, with page scraps flying everywhere. Reaching the bed, he climbs backward on top of it and looks down at it. The book tries to attack the bed to get at Harry, but can't get high enough, and instead scuttles under it. Harry lays down on his stomach and hangs his head over the side of the bed to get another look at the monster book. It looks back at him, tentacles wiggling and snarls again as it lurches at him. He lifts his head up just in time, and the book snaps and looks side to side before retreating back under the bed. Harry pulls off his shoe and drops it on the floor to lure the book out. It immediately chomps down on the shoe, giving Harry the opportunity to jump down on top of it and trap it. The scene transitions to a woman wheeling a cart down the hall and a self-sweeping broom. She knocks on the door and says, Housekeeping! The door opens and she is hit with a roar and a huge gust of wind before the door slams in her face. She says she'll come back later and turns to walk away as a neighboring door opens and Harry steps out of his room. He closes his door behind him and watches as a cat chases a rat past him. Following the animals, he finds Ron and Hermione in the bar area, arguing because her cat, Crookshanks, keeps chasing scabbers. They stop arguing when they see him and both greet him by name. The scene shifts again to a moving newspaper article with a photo of the Weasley family in Egypt. As he is telling Harry about the trip, Hermione mentions the ancient Egyptians worship cats, which slightly reignites their argument before Fred and George show up and begin to tease Ron about showing the newspaper clipping to everyone. They are soon followed by Mrs. Weasley, who coddles Harry a little and makes sure he has all of his books and clothes ready, and Mr. Weasley, who asks to have a word with Harry. He pulls him aside and tells him that the Ministry doesn't want him telling him this, but he thinks Harry needs to know the facts because he is in danger. He walks him forward, keeping him away from other people as much as possible, and they stop in front of a pillar with a wanted poster of Sirius Black hanging on it. Harry looks at the poster and asks if it has anything to do with Sirius Black. Mr. Weasley wants to know what he knows about Black, and Harry says only that he's escaped from Azkaban. Mr. Weasley asks if he knows why, and Harry shakes his head. While explaining what happened 13 years ago, he says, When you stopped, and he hesitates, Harry says, Voldemort, and Mr. Weasley tells him not to say the name, and he says, You know who? He tells Harry that Black lost everything, but still remains loyal to him. Mr. Weasley walks Harry to a more private section of the bar, away from a crowd of people that just walked in, and tells him that Black thinks that Harry is the only thing that stands in the way of you-know-who returning to power, and that is why he escaped from Azkaban. To find him. Harry finishes the thought, saying, To kill me. We had to do a little bit of a weird split for this episode. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that a conversation that happens in the book will end up in next week's movie scene and that we had to split a conversation right before the end of it from this week's movie scene. I feel like we're going to be seeing a lot more of this as we keep going on. Oh, yeah. We actually have to split the next couple of chapters into two because of how long mm -hmm. they are. So it's just going off the rails on us. It's just the beginning, though. It starts. <laughs> yes. I always think of the Lion King, it starts. It starts. <laughs> but as we mentioned last week, Harry has several weeks to hang out in Diagon Alley before he has to go back to school. So the book starts out with him adjusting to this newfound freedom and describing all of the things that he likes to do, like people watch, explore the shops, eat all of the ice cream and talk himself out of buying expensive things that he doesn't actually need, like a set of solid gold gobstones. Remember in his first year, Hagrid had to stop him from buying a solid gold cauldron? Apparently he just likes gold. I love gold. Sorry. <laughs> I saw a meme that pointed that out saying, no wonder he's such a good seeker, he's always on the hunt for gold. But the item that tempted him the most wasn't made out of gold, it just cost all of the gold. <laughs> and that was a brand new racing broom called the Firebolt. He did successfully talk himself out of emptying his vault to buy it, since he already has a perfectly good broom, but he goes back to look at it every single day, which is honestly some amazing self-control. I bought it like five times already. Yeah, <laughs> right? I bought it, then returned it, then bought it, then returned it. I've, yeah... I've run the gamut. 
Once you start spinning, you can't stop. I totally bought that firebolt. <laughs> yeah, I can just imagine him saying to himself, Self, you have a good broom. It's never failed to lose you a Quidditch match. You don't need this. But maybe someone on the Gryffindor team would want it. Like, I could buy the firebolt and give them my Nimbus. But it says price on request. You have no idea how much it costs. Like, sure, your parents left you a lot of money, but you still have five years of Hogwarts left. Do you really want to ask the Dursleys to help buy your spell books? Okay, fine, I won't buy it. But I'm still going to visit it every day and stare at it longingly. God, it's like Harry's brain is that tree and you're those little cookie elves. <laughs> As we also mentioned last week, Harry does buy all of his school books during this time. This is when he learns that the Monster Book of Monsters is on his book list and is relieved that that's why Hagrid said it would be useful, not because he needed them to help him look after some terrifying new pet. <laughs> I always feel bad for the manager of the shop when I read how relieved he was that he didn't have to get one of those books out of the cage for Harry. It also cracks me up when he says that it's worse than when they bought 200 copies of the Invisible Book of Invisibility and never found them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that had to have been a total Emperor's New Clothes moment. Right? Hell of a swindle. <laughs> mm-hmm. But while Harry is getting the rest of his school books, he sees a book called Death Omens, What to Do When You Know the Worst is Coming. And on the cover is a very familiar black dog, which makes him feel a bit uneasy about the dog he saw before getting on the night bus. Such fun little foreshadowing. The movie doesn't include any of this, shockingly enough, since they set it up as if Harry is leaving for Hogwarts the very next day after he arrived at the Leaky Cauldron. Yeah. Once the book gets us to the point where it is the day before he does leave, it kind of starts to line up, though the movie details are quite streamlined. The book mentions that Harry starts running into other classmates out and about Diagon Alley, and he starts keeping an eye out for Ron and Hermione, and they find him on the last day of the holidays. And then the three of them head to the Magical Menagerie so Ron can get Scabbers checked out, who hasn't been doing very well since they got back from Egypt, and so Hermione can buy an owl as a birthday gift to herself with the extra money her parents gave her. This is also when they ask him if he really blew up his aunt. Ron finds it hilarious, and Hermione says that he's lucky he wasn't expelled. Harry says, forget expelled, I thought I was going to be arrested. Which is the conversation that ended up in next week's scene, the way we had to split it. Yeah, so we'll bring it up again then. Mm -hmm. In the book, the trio are at the magical creature shop, and after Ron makes it very clear he doesn't want a replacement rat, the shop witch suggests a rat tonic. But before Ron can pay, a giant orange thing leaps down at them and chases Scabbers right out the door. Harry and Ron run after him, leaving Hermione in the shop to get her owl while they try to catch him. But instead of an owl, she buys the furry ginger thing, which turns out to be a cat named Crookshanks. Movie doesn't show us this scene, but it does allude to it. This is basically where the movie scene starts to line up with the book chapter. Like we said, it doesn't quite do it, since details were changed, but it's where it fits the best. It starts out with one of my absolute favorite transitions, I gotta say, where the camera pans up over the busy street and back into Harry's room, and the way the camera kind of just seems to go right through the glass just has such a magical feel about it to me. Yeah, it was a really neat shot. I love it. it was, it's possibly one of my favorite transitions ever. But this is when we finally get to see the homicidal hardback known as the Monster Book of Monsters. I kind of like the way they did it in the movie. Like, in the book, it sounded kind of fancy, as like a leather-bound book that just had teeth, whereas this looks wild as shit. I did like the look of it for the sake of a film. It was definitely far more visually interesting than the book described. But I do kind of like the idea of the contrast between this elegant-looking book with fancy gold lettering, and then you pick it up and it goes wild trying to bite you. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been kind of funny to see Harry confused that this nice-looking book was belted shut, only to unbuckle it and be attacked. <laughs> there was very little surprise that the fur monstrosity went a little nuts once unbuckled. Yeah, but I really like those eyes and the fur tentacly things. Like, I'd actually like to know our Keeper's opinions on the look of the book, since ours kind of differ. Works for me, because I agree the eyes were neat. I just 
still could have seen them open up once the belt was taken off of the green leather version too. (laughs) But I do think the movie version played really well on screen. Especially with the little bits of paper flying everywhere. I mean, I just think it's called the Monster Book of Monsters. It should be a monster itself. But it did make for a nice visual. But, I mean, how damn useless is the book that shreds itself? Good on the publisher since you'd have to keep buying new copies every time your book rips up the chapter you need. But really. Oh yeah, total scam. Like the invisible book of invisibility. Yep. I just wish they would have kept it as a gift from Hagrid, though. Yeah, especially since it just made such a great Funkle Hagrid moment. Right? But during this scene, we get to see the movie interpretation of Harry opening the Monster Book of Monsters in the first chapter. It is somewhat similar, though the movie dramatizes it as much as it can, of course. Of course. (laughs) When we meet this book in the first chapter, it basically just fell out of the packaging and scuttled away, hiding under Harry's desk. He tries to reach for it, and it snaps at him before scuttling past him again. And Harry just sort of throws himself forward and flattens it to the floor, and then goes to get the belt to buckle it shut. It's not how it happens in the movie! Not nearly dramatic enough. Harry sees this hairy, homicidal hardback on the bench by the fire. It's buckled shut, but he still thinks, Hey, I should unbuckle this strange furry book. The book has four little yellow eyes that open and blink, but he still thinks, Hey, I should pick up this strange furry book. He looks at the side of its pages and sees a set of teeth, but still he thinks, Hey, I should open this strange furry book. Before he can open the book, it begins to snarl and snap at him, causing him to drop it. He backs away as it scuttles towards him, shredded pages flying, and when he reaches the bed, he climbs up for safety. The book scuttles right under the bed, but lurches at Harry again when he leans over the edge of the bed to look at it. Definitely more dramatic than the book. Mm Mm-hmm. Then, Harry tricks the book into coming out so he can catch it. I love Harry outsmarting the monster book of monsters with his shoe, but I remember being in the theater watching him take off his shoe going like, what the hell is he doing? Like, I'm pretty sure you want your shoes on so the monster book can't, like, eat your toes or something. To be fair, this is one of Harry's few Ravenclaw moments, and it probably Mm. just really threw you off that he was being that clever. (laughs) There is that. (laughs) After that, the scene cuts to the hall where we see a housekeeping witch knocking on a door. This is not really necessary, per se, but... Kind of an amusing little touch in regards to the kind of other clientele the Leaky Cauldron might get. But I definitely dig the self-sweeping room. I need one of those. Yeah, this was definitely a classic Alfonso Curon transition. Because he doesn't seem to like boring cuts. Something active and entertaining has to be happening. And I agree that this was amusing. But it makes the layout of the Leaky Cauldron look really odd, though. Obviously, I think that's on purpose... But it looks like the door that the housekeeper knocks on is for a really small room because there's a hallway behind it. The way the camera is, it looks very odd. I I want like a blueprint of the leaky cauldron because I can't understand it. (laughs) Yeah, you can't really tell if that is part of the room or maybe like a little closet or something. Because it might not even be a full hall. It's just a weird angle that cut off what all you could see. Mm -hmm. Since you had to see Harry exiting his room at the same time you saw the housekeeping witch in the hallway... It was probably the only angle that they could get everything in, especially since they also then had to have Crookshanks chasing Scabbers through the hall specifically for Harry to see and follow. Okay, now that we're on this topic, can we just talk for a second about how Ron and Hermione both need to keep a damn eye on their pets? Like, Crookshanks is just wandering around everywhere. Scabbers is fucking gone all the time. What the hell? Jesus, Hermione, keep your cat in your fucking room. Yeah, obviously this little scene was intended to introduce Crookshanks since we didn't see Hermione by him, as well as introduce the rivalry between Crookshanks and Scabbers. Plus, it alerts Harry to the presence of his two best friends at the Leaky Cauldron and the tension that's starting to brew between them. But really, why were their pets both roaming around upstairs when their owners were downstairs? That's what I'm saying! (sighs) Also... I'm definitely no expert on how you're supposed to hold a rat, but I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to hold it as though you're about to wring it out like a fucking wet washcloth. I mean, in the book, Scabbers was described to have shot out of the magical menagerie witch's hands like a bar of wet soap. So maybe that's just how you have to hold Scabbers. Maybe. 
But I do love Ron's face when he sees Harry and is like, Oh, thank God, someone to get her off my fucking back. However, Hermione's delivery of the line, Harry, is just so bad. Like, it's just bad. I hate to be harsh on Emma, but some of her line delivery in this movie just wasn't good, and this is definitely one of those times. Yeah, it almost seemed like she forgot his name for a second. She, like, moved her mouth and didn't say anything, and then, Harry. Yeah. Like, like, did you start to say the wrong name or something? It was someone, it was someone being told they need to act surprised, but not doing a good job at acting surprised. Like, I feel really bad, because I love Emma. I just, oh, I didn't start loving her in this movie, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she was 13. She was, she was 13, but it wasn't great. But then the scene cuts to Ron showing Harry the article about winning the Galleon Prize and their trip to Egypt. So we finally get to see that, too. I feel bad for the guys who were cast as Charlie and Bill for the Weasley's Egypt photo, though. They probably thought they were actually going to have, like, a good role in future movies, but no, we never see them again. I actually remember reading somewhere that the actor who played Bill for this image was hoping to get to come back for the future movies, but then it got recast. Yeah, sadness. And then we just never get to see Charlie again. It's sad. Poor Charlie. I guess they must have figured that the Weasleys had enough kids without including him. A mention in a photograph, that's all he got. Poor Charlie. We get a little background on Ron's trip during this part as well, though. Similar to what he wrote in his letter to Harry in the book. But Hermione interrupts him to tell him that the Egyptians used to worship cats. And Ron's bringing the sass with Hermione in this movie. Like, damn, the dung beetle comment is savage. Hermione is every cat lover at that moment. (laughs) And I am every Ron. (laughs) But this never happened in the book. After they buy the rat tonic and Crookshanks, they head back to the Leaky Cauldron where they find Mr. Weasley reading the Daily Prophet and chat with him about catching Sirius Black. Apparently, they've taken everyone in the ministry off of their normal jobs to try and catch him and still aren't having any luck. Ron wonders if they would get a reward for catching him, and Mr. Weasley tells him not to be ridiculous that Black isn't going to be caught by a 13-year-old wizard. Well, that comment doesn't age well. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But then, the rest of the Weasleys show up after finishing all their shopping. Ginny is super embarrassed to see Harry again, as usual. But Percy shows up with his head boy badge and gives Harry a super pompous greeting and handshake that Fred and George jump in to mock. Sadly, this part does not happen in the movie. So bummed. Right? The closest we get to it are the Fred and George shenanigans when they show up to make fun of Ron for sharing the Daily Prophet article with Tom, the day maid, the night maid, the cook, that bloke who fixed the toilet, and that wizard from Belgium. I love the twins giving Ron such a hard time, but what the hell did they do to that toilet that required someone to come in and fix it? Honestly, my bet is that they put a filibuster firework in it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. Right? So twins. (laughs) But this is the scene in the movie where all the Weasleys show up. Molly is once again mom goals as she greets Harry and makes sure he has everything packed for Hogwarts. The book just has Mrs. Weasley stop the twins from teasing Percy and then brag about him being head boy and scold the twins some more for not being made prefix. Sure. There is a section later that evening in the book after dinner where she makes sure that everyone has their stuff packed. But in the book, the Weasleys and Hermione arrive the day before, and in the movie, they just sort of seem to be there. Yeah, based on the timeline, they were there and Harry showed up so late at night, they were already asleep. Or they all showed up that morning to get Harry and have some breakfast before heading to King's Cross. But... I mean, that seems unlikely, since they saw the day maid, the night maid, the cook, and had to have someone fix the toilet, so. Yeah, and considering that it's the Weasleys, I don't see how they could have gotten everything together with enough time to make it to the Leaky Cauldron on the same morning anyway. There is that as well. It streamlines things and still gets the same point across, but it would have been really fun to see them all have dinner together. This is when Percy asks how they are getting to King's Cross, and Mr. Weasley tells them the ministry is providing some cars. Percy wants to know why, and we get some more Fred and George antics when they say it's for him, and it will have little flags that say HB for humongous big head. Which was our trivia question. 
and everyone snorts into their pudding. <laughs> well, everyone except Mrs. Weasley and Percy. <laughs> Hashtag pudding snorts. Then we have that moment where Mrs. Weasley is telling everyone to make sure they're all packed up and they all head upstairs. Percy and Ron are in the room right next to Harry's and he can hear them arguing. Since he's all packed, he goes to check on them and finds out that Percy's headboy badge is missing and so is Ron's rat tonic. Ron thinks the tonic is still in the bar, but Percy won't let him go look for it until they find his badge, so Harry offers. On his way down to the bar, he hears some more arguing and realizes it's Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. At first he hesitates, but then he hears his name and does what he's best at and listens in. Of course he totally meddles. Though, I'm not gonna lie, if I overheard someone say my name, I would totally listen in too. Oh yeah, samesies. <laughs> samesies. <laughs> but he ends up overhearing that Sirius Black escaped Azkaban to come after him. And even though the Ministry doesn't want Harry to know this, Mr. Weasley thinks that he has the right to know. Mrs. Weasley is worried that it will scare him too much and argues that he'll be perfectly safe at Hogwarts. Mr. Weasley points out that they thought Azkaban was perfectly safe, too. Mrs. Weasley comments that they aren't really sure that Black is actually after Harry, and Mr. Weasley bangs his fist on the table and reminds her that Black kept saying he's at Hogwarts and is deranged. There's that, too. There's that, too. Black <laughs> seems to think that killing Harry will bring back you-know-who. Mrs. Weasley tells him to do what he thinks is right, but not to forget that Albus Dumbledore is at Hogwarts. And Dumbledore knows all about it because they had to ask him about stationing the Azkaban guards around the school entrances. He wasn't happy about it since he isn't fond of the guards, but he agreed. Mr. Weasley says he's not fond of the Azkaban guards either, but he won't say another word against them if they save Harry, and then says it's getting late and they better head upstairs. Harry hurries the rest of the way to the bar, finds the rat tonic, and goes back upstairs. This is where the movie makes a significant change to the book. After Mrs. Weasley checks in with Harry, Mr. Weasley asks to have a word with him. He pulls him aside and just flat out tells Harry that the Ministry doesn't want him telling Harry this, but Sirius Black escaped from Azkaban to come after him. The gist of what he tells Harry is the same as to what Harry overhears, though not in as much detail. He walks Harry away from everyone as he tells him, and meanwhile, the wanted posters in the background with Gary Oldman just going fucking guano-style crazy, because he's crazy Gary Oldman. Crazy Gary Oldman. <laughs> I did like the fact that they had that poster in the whole shot like that. Well, two posters. But even mm. as Mr. Weasley kept walking Harry away from everyone else, you could see the poster in the background the whole time. Yep. We decided to end the film scene at the point where Mr. Weasley tells Harry that Black thinks that Harry is the only thing that stands in the way of you-know-who returning to power. And that is why he escaped from Azkaban. To find him. And Harry finishes the thought saying, To kill me. This pretty much covered the information that Harry overheard before going to bed and cuts it off before the next part, which Mr. Weasley does specifically say in the next chapter, so we'll just have to pick it up there next week. The book chapter is nearly over too, but we do get a little more Weasley twin shenanigans when Harry walks past them on his way back to the rooms and finds out that they're the ones who took Percy's badge, which now reads, Big Head Boy. <laughs> Harry forces a laugh, gives the rat tonic to Ron, and heads to bed. He now understands why he wasn't in trouble for blowing up his aunt. And he realizes that he's not really that scared, since he agrees with Mrs. Weasley and feels safe at Hogwarts with Dumbledore. Especially since the Azkaban guards seem to scare most people and will also be guarding the school. Honestly, Harry seems more concerned with the fact that going to Hogsmeade seems even more unlikely now. Priorities, Harry. <laughs> but also, he thinks about the black dog that he saw in the cover of the book about death omens. And he cuts that line of thinking off by saying out loud that he's not going to be murdered. And his mirror sleepily tells him, that's the spirit, dear. <laughs> I really wish we could have seen the talking mirror. Like, doesn't it also tell him that he's fighting a losing battle when he tries to smooth his very hairy, hairy hair? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are such fun little magic touches. I dig it. 
But this is where the book chapter ends, and we can move on to the new and returning actors for this section. The housekeeping witch in the beginning of the scene was played by Abby Ford, but beyond that scene and her two lines, she isn't seen again. It was a fun little bit. I liked her reaction to the roar and the door slamming shut in her face. Yeah, she was just very kind of deadpan about the whole thing. Like, she probably deals with that on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I thought she was funny. She did good. Yeah, she did pretty good, too. When the door slams, she only slightly flinches back, which is impressive because she was right there when it slammed at her. So, yeah, it was well done. <laughs> but then we see Rupert Grint back as Ronald Weasley. Yay, Ronald. And he was at least able to say Harry non-awkwardly. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, his voice. Like, it's starting it to get so deeper, yeah. but it's not quite there yet. So his Harry, <laughs> it was yeah. adorable. I loved it. And obviously, we're going to be seeing a lot more from the main characters as we go on. This is just the first Ronald sighting. Yeah, these are our first impressions, basically. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, Ron, in addition to Harry having very hairy, hairy hair, Ron has excellent hair in this movie. This really is a good movie for hair, like, all around, but I really liked Ron's hair in it. Yeah, I think, like I was saying before, visually, this movie captured the look and feel of Harry Potter the most. Mm -hmm. The universe, not the character, but the character as well. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, Rupert, I thought he did great. I felt that he did a really good job, like, kind of acting dejected when the twins were making fun of him for showing off the clipping. And he was like, I did not. And it was like... Right. And his sass to Hermione and... Mm-hmm. Like, they believably have a friendship with some tension. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Speaking of Hermione, we see Emma Watson returning as Hermione Granger. Also on the topic of hair, though, that's not Hermione hair, but her hair does look fabulous. It is not. It looks fabulous. Like, if I could get my hair to do that on a daily basis, I'd be super happy. Right. But my hair tends to look, especially in the summertime with the humidity, my hair tends to look like Hermione's hair is supposed to look, but not as bushy because I have very fine hair. Like, I remember that being one of my biggest pet peeves. Yeah, no, her hair is gorgeous. Especially since you get that, like, the first shot of Hermione is the back of her head. Yeah. And you're just like, is that the back of Hermione's head? Because that's sleek-ass hair. Yeah. That's treated hair. That's what that is. You've been using conditioner, girl. That's that's what's going on. She got into the sleek easies. Yeah. (laughs) But that's not Emma's fault. That's not Emma's fault at all. I mean, and I think aside from her awkward hairy line... I thought, like, her, when she was holding Crookshanks and just, like, you know they were... It was very Hermione. Yeah. I thought, beyond the hairy line for this scene, I thought that she did very well. And it was... I like how defensive she got of Crookshanks. Where she was just mm-hmm. like, you know they worship cats, don't you? And, like... Like I said, she was every cat lover ever in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I am Ron. So, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you have an excuse. You're allergic. True. Which is another reason why I hate that they just let Crookshanks roam the hell around. Right. But neither here nor there. (laughs) But then we see James and Oliver Phelps as Fred and George Weasley. And I lumped them together this time because I honestly couldn't tell you which was which in this scene. (laughs) What I love about Fred and George in this movie, and it starts in this scene, which is why I'm bringing it up, is in this movie, they did a lot of the twin thing where they each said one line, the other said the next. They finished each other's sentences. Yeah. They finish each other's sandwiches. sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I love that throughout the movie. And that can come across so cheesy too, but they really pull it off very naturally. Yeah. It's such a fun touch. I love those two. I mean, it probably helps that they're actual twins. I mean, yeah, probably... I'm sure it does. But they 100% embody the Fred and George shenanigans. Yes. They just do. Even though they don't get to do as much of it as the book has. Yeah. They were absolutely big brothers tormenting their little brother. Mm-hmm. I feel like James and Oliver Phelps were not playing Fred and George Weasley. Fred and George Weasley were playing James and Oliver Phelps. I think they just were. They, exactly. Weasley. I think That's they just were. They just are. <laughs> and then we come in with the hashtag mom goals with Julie Walters returning as Molly Weasley. And I love her. Love her. I love her. I love the way she, like, touches Harry's cheek and she's like, you have all your books. And she's just, ah. And the whole, like, good boy. Yes. <laughs> she has to, like, list all the specific separate things. And mm-hmm. she's just her. such a mom. Yeah. 
I love Julie Walters. I think she's amazing. We also see Mark Williams coming back as Arthur Weasley. And I gotta say, like, everything about this scene where he's, like, trying to pull him away and be really secretive in this crowded-ass bar (laughs) was just really humorous to me, the way that that played out. Yeah. But he really did a good job, like, looking around and being aware of his surrounding and being like, oh, another crowd just came in. We gotta move this way. And Yeah. And it all just played, like, it was weird. I I get the feeling that Alfonso Cuaron just didn't want them standing in one place for the conversation because that's way too boring for him. Yeah, that can be very boring. But I feel like the way that he played it, leading him through the bar, came across very naturally. Yeah. And it didn't seem like a forced, and now we're going to move to this mark. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. It doesn't seem like, okay, three steps to the left. Okay, two steps to the right. Like, it was just very, hey, come with me over here. Right. And as the conversation got a little darker and a little darker, because like it started off, they were in the back of mm-hmm. the bar by the pillar with the poster. And, and it was, was much just lighter. like, what, you're in danger. And then he gets a little bit closer and still by another pillar. And it was like, Sirius Black is crazy. Then they pull him all the way over to where no one else was around except for far in the background. They're more secluded in the hall and that. It was when, like, the mic dropped. Yeah. He was like, Sirius Black escaped to come after you. And Harry was like, to kill me. Bam. Boom. (laughs) I feel like it built up to that really well, the way they played that scene. And I felt like Mark Williams played it very naturally. Mm Mm-hmm. And they played off each other very well, too. Yeah. We also see Chris Rankin return as Percy Weasley and Bonnie Wright as Ginny Weasley. But they don't really get to do anything in this scene. So, I mean, we'll talk more about them later, I guess. Works for me. And we'll move on to our Potter pondering. What did you think about the way the movie portrayed the Monster Book of Monsters? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We look forward to reading them. Especially since we kind of have differing opinions. Mm Mm-hmm. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Brittany Johnston. She writes, Hey y'all, my name is Brittany and I am a Hufflepuff. My Patronus is the Deerhound and my wand is Larchwood with a dragon heartstring core, 12 and 3 quarters inches with rigid flexibility. I didn't start reading Harry Potter until my freshman year of college back in 2012. Since I grew up in the Bible Belt, Virginia, my mom wouldn't let me watch the movies or read the books because they were evil and had witchcraft. I mean, she wasn't wrong about the witchcraft part, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, I was going through a breakup when I decided I would give the books a try. I ordered The Sorcerer's Stone on Amazon and read it within a day or two. I immediately bought the others, and as soon as I would finish one, I would watch the movie, compare the movie, get mad at how much the movie's left out, then (laughs) proceed with reading the next book, so excited to learn what happened next. I think I read all the books and watched all the movies within a month. I've been hooked ever since, having reread the books at least once a year and having watched the movies numerous times. I just went to Harry Potter World for the first time last October, and I didn't think my obsession could get any stronger, but it did. It felt like I was actually at Hogwarts, and I knew then that this fandom changed my life for the good and for the better. I heard about your podcast from Ellen, actually. That's me. (laughs) I am in a Harry Potter fan group on Facebook and she told me about it. Right then and there, I searched for it and immediately fell in love. I'm already at episode 23 and will be so sad when I can't binge listen to them and have to wait for weekly episodes like a normal human being. Thank you guys for making my daily walks with my dog even brighter and keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Brittany, for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us. And thank you even more for emailing us pictures of your dog. Oh my gosh, yes. She has the cutest Dalmatian named Ollie. Aw, so cute. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Like animal pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ellen loves her animal pictures. (laughs) Well, that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what is the name of the magical instruments shop in Hogsmeade that Ron says they can get the sneakoscope checked at? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag cheap one will get a bitch is a witch, 
motherfucker's a wizard, I just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. We also want to announce a special raffle that we're doing in honor of making it to 10,000 downloads, y'all. Starting Friday, August 7th, 2020, you will have two weeks to complete as many different actions as you can to get entries into the raffle. If you have previously completed any of these, they will count as an entry as well. Just let us know so we can make sure that we don't miss them. We will post these up on Facebook too, so you can refer back to them and get as many entries as possible to up your chances of winning. Entry actions include one entry each for following us on Facebook, Podbean, Instagram, and Twitter, two entries for sharing your sorting hat story with us, three entries for writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or a recommendation on Facebook, four entries for subscribing to our new YouTube channel, Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter podcast, and five entries if you comment on ten or more episodes posted on Podbean. This could be your own comment or in response to someone else's comment. If you complete or have already completed any of these actions, send us an email at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know that you want to be entered into the raffle and which actions you've completed so we can check them and add your name to the raffle the correct number of times. We will stop adding names at the end of Friday, August 21st, and on Saturday, the 22nd, we will go live on Instagram to officially draw the winner. In addition to some Just Keep Rolling swag, the prize for this raffle includes wooden letters made by my disgustingly talented co-host. They are cut in the Harry Potter font to spell out the word magical, which happens to have seven letters, one for each book cover, and we will be posting a picture of them on Facebook along with the rules for this raffle. Yeah! So get ready to start clicking, like, subscribe, Follow, leave comments, and reviews. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 5, The Dementor, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.